Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, just excited to have you on, Rick. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I wish I could be out there with you on the court uh, over there at Boca Raton. But, uh, you know, it's uh, I, although I will be in Orlando, not too far away. So yeah, it's about three hours, three hours. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. So I guess first off, I mean, uh, a question for me is, what do you think the like the best piece of advice you've ever gotten that you can tell, like, tell us club level tennis players that, you know, something that really hits home to you that, uh, that you think can, can really help us go on a, a, toward a path of improving our game. Well, first off, that's a, a great question. And it's so simple. It's difficult. You know, too many times when club players play, they make it out to be like the Super Bowl, or they make it out to be something much bigger than what it is. And that's why most people they play better when they play better people because they don't put like self-induced pressure. And if you can like smile and have fun and just enjoy the competition, I know that sounds benign and that sounds very vanilla, but it's so true because as you start missing balls or you feel you're letting your partner down, if you're playing doubles, you get all this anxiety. So I think the number one thing with club players is to stay relaxed and have fun. And it's the hardest thing to do because they just so caught up in trying not to lose instead of just having fun and enjoying the competition. Even though that sounds like a simple thing to do, they let everything around them affect them. And that even happens at the pro level. Let's face it, who handles pressure the best and who can just focus on the competition is usually day in and day out the mentally stronger. I love that. Love that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I just put a message, by the way. Oops, sorry, my alarm's going off. So, I, you can put a question below or question in the chat box and I'll ask Rick, or I can actually try to bring you on as well to do a face-to-face -face with Rick. So I see uh, Christopher here on video. So, I mean, you know, I, I can bring you on or anybody else. If you want to ask a question, just raise your hand or, or let me see. Let's just, uh, let's just say hi to uh, see if I can bring you in here. But uh, in the meantime, let me ask one other question. Let me ask a question that I got from the pre-submitted pre one, which is, what is the best way to practice volleys at home alone or before heading to the court, Rick? Well, it, it really depends on the skill level. So, you know, it depends where you're at in your, in your skill level. You know, I think everything should be focused on control and calmness. Uh, I could say, you know, hit against the wall, but if you hit it too hard, that's going to be a little bit difficult. Um, you know, everything should be always done in a progression. And I even teach like that, even when I'm putting something together biomechanically, whether it be serve or volley or whatever, I always do things in progressions. So you always want to start off slow, like you're going to catch it, then tap it. And then you can always bring up the intensity. Now, if you're playing doubles, because I think that's kind of where you're going with this, as most club players play more doubles, yeah. um, you know, having an aggressive attitude or just having an attitude that I want the ball 
that might trump the technical part of the volley. Just having someone who's a little bit more aggressive. But the biggest problem on the volley is people don't keep their hands in front. People swing at it because they feel they have a lot of time. But the way, best way to practice it is always think of it as a control shot. And this is the problem I have even with a lot of teachers. They do a lot of drills where all they're doing is focusing on putting the ball away, you know, which I'm not saying is bad. That's kind of the icing on the cake. But the volley is a controlled shot. It's a placement shot. Then once you got that down, then it's a put away shot. So I would say always practice at targets. I like people to practice a lot of drop volleys simply because not that it's a tough shot or a tougher shot. It promotes calmness, feel, touch, but the nervous system, it really pumps the brakes and get people to calm down. Because let's face it, most people miss volleys and overheads mainly because they're excited, not because they, they don't have that good of skill. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for that advice. Uh, I'm going to read uh, from the chat. So, hey, Jamie says, my pros constantly tell me to practice deep volleys, but then I get into matches, singles or doubles, and I'm way too nice in where I put the volleys, <laughs> then I'm screwed. I wonder why. why. Why is it that you are too nice? Is it that you just, um, do you get nervous and you don't just put it in the right place? Or do you, is it just like you feel like, you know, it's more social and that's why you're not uh, hitting it where you want to, um, but you know, you want to practice uh, how you, how you play in matches. Oh, I, sorry. I missed a question. Uh, oh, I, I actually, there are a lot of questions here. My chat box is too small. So Neil, uh, Neil asks uh, for you, Rick, obviously, uh, how do you find a sweet spot for being relaxed on the forehand? I'm often too tight. And when I relax, I get sloppy and slappy. Yeah, well, first off, I'd have to, I'd have to actually see the stroke, you know, and I don't really like, because it's not one size fits all, but he kind of covered both ends of the spectrum. So I was going to tell him to loosen the grip, but he already beat me to it because he says <laughs> that when he relaxes, he gets too sloppy, you know, but let me just talk biomechanics. The, the, the power starts from the ground up. Tennis shots are hit with rotation. The leg comes up, the hip turns, the shoulder turns. Now, you don't want to turn into the tin man. Okay, but then again, you don't want to play with just your arm. So it's a it's a tricky thing. And that's why I'd almost have to see it because the body is the car and the racket's the passenger. So the first thing I'd say, if you can't find the sweet spot is I drop the ball and just hit it. Then I'd have someone hand feed you. Then I'd have a basket. Then I'd have a hitting partner, you know, and go through the progressions. So that's a tricky question because he's already covered both ends. I'm either too tight or too loose. Now, there could be a medley of things I could say. Keep your head still and look through the back of the strings. Uh, I would just have to see the stroke, you know, just to see what was disconnecting. You know, is he opening up too soon? Is he not using the ground correctly? There's just, that's a very complex question. But I think if you're too tight, you should always loosen your grip up or even put your hand down. And if you're too loose, you should kind of control the follow through and just let the bigger muscles bring the racket through the contact point. Got, got it. Love that. Thanks, Rick. And again, um, if, if you, and oh, excellent, Neil. Uh, oh, yeah. If, if any of you want to ask your question, you can just uh, unmute yourself and just, uh, you know. Yeah. And plus, if they want to follow well. up to the question, because the more I know what's in their head or yeah. exactly what they've tried or haven't tried, then I can expedite the learning curve and throw more stuff out and there'll be more meat on the bone. So I, I kind of have to go on the surface because I can't see the stroke. But if I saw his stroke in 20 seconds, 
I could even give him more substantive, you know, correction. Neil, go ahead. So, Mervin, I can go. I don't have I can get a racket. I could show if that's yeah. that's helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. But uh, let me just be right back. <laughs> sure, Sorry. sure. See, I'm yeah, a versatile yeah. guy. We, we just we, everything goes here, right? That's right. Uh, everything wait, goes. A, win, a winner. A winner finds a way. I mean, that's the way this thing should work. Go get a racket. Percent. Well, I'll bring the computer yeah. out to the tennis court. We'll be on the tennis court in 20 minutes. Who knows? Yeah, I bet you got strong Wi-Fi at the Rick Macy <laughs> Dance Academy. So, yeah, we got everything <laughs> streaming live now with these PTT tournaments. So, yeah, the the Wi-Fi is crazy now. That's really good. Can we do streaming nice. live stuff? Nice. So, if we're you asked, uh, so you know, if I go, I bring the racket back, and then swing through racket back, swing through. The challenge is I fire on the ball. That looks great. And the ball is coming. I see on video, I start to do this. And I almost shovel the ball like this when I'm actually facing a hitting partner. So I can do shadow strokes all day like this, get on the court, and it turns into this. And then when I tell myself to relax, I loosen up and then I end up just doing this kind of stuff Okay, here. So I'm trying to find the middle ground. Okay. Well, first off, just by you doing that, it's a game changer for me to be able to see what you just did. Obviously, you're letting pressure dictate your ability because your practice swing, you're in the neighborhood. I actually like your practice swing. I'm not saying it's like, like Federer or Djokovic. But the way you just did your stroke was great. But then what you said happened, okay, that's all being dictated by pressure, you know, slowing the racket down, so on and so forth. But what I recommend is this. After you hit the ball, look through the back of the string. See, this is something I coined like 30 years ago. I know people tell you to keep your head still. If you can see the back of the strings after you hit, it auto-corrects the body. It keeps you locked into contact longer, okay? That would be the first thing, because when you demonstrated, your head didn't shift. But then when you did the other way, okay, you, you were already pulled out. Your, your, everything was going to the left too soon. So I would look through the strings, number one, but I would do number two. I would make my racket. See, I use the follow through as a corrective technique. A lot of people think in golf and tennis, the follow through makes the ball go somewhere. And that is a fallacy. That's not true. The follow-through is a corrective technique. I'll explain that in a second. Or the follow-through uh, can prevent injury, okay? So the follow-through has nothing to do with where the ball goes because from a science point of view, you've made contact and the ball's gone. So if you think about it in those terms, hey, Rick, you're right. Because you know people that you have a much better technique, but they make every shot because they're set, they're balanced, and they know the angle of the racket because the angle of the racket is the leader in the clubhouse when hitting the ball. So what I would do is two things. I would look through the strings after contact, hard to do. Listen, I've had people become number one in the world. They couldn't do this. And I've had other people who their parents are engineers. How funny is this? And they played high school tennis, got a little college scholarship, and they have better technique than some people I've had that were top 10 in the world, technically, because their parents made them do it 100 times at night because an engineer looks at it through a different lens. They understand physics and science and they make them do the repetition. 
And the last thing I would do, or the second thing, I would make your racket touch your back. Okay, go ahead and do your follow through like you demonstrated without the ball, the first one. Okay, see how you're, oh yeah. So what I would do is I would overcook the follow through extra crispy and I would deaccelerate whether it's around the ribs like Federer or way over the shoulder. That way you're thinking of the end. And when you think of the end, a lot of times the before and during can autocorrect. See, because I see two things. I see you opened up too soon when you said that and the racket then deaccelerates. So what I would do, look through the strings, touch your back. I guarantee your forehand will be so much better. And if you wouldn't have got a racket, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> well, well, thank you. This is great. No, no, you uh, have no idea. This is, this is going to help so much. Okay. And you can even shoot me an email and just tell me what a difference it is. The problem is, because uh, you have more experience than the kids, most kids don't listen to me. They do. They, they, they hear me, but they don't listen. Hopefully you heard me and you're going to listen and then you can report back and we'll have another discussion. Well, well, at three 30, I'm going out to the court to hand feed myself and practice that. So, okay. Well, I so get up at three 30 in the morning, so we'll, we'll circle <laughs> back around in 12 hours. Right, 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 right. So, so, but doesn't looking through the strings force you to take your head up? No, because, no, because you head through down. the strings. No, no, no. Wait. Okay. Um, you, you're, when you make contact, I'm sorry. See, that's why I need you to say that because he misinterpreted. When you make contact, see the strings go by. So your see head, your eyes yeah. should be down. Yeah. You'll see people, mm -hmm. you'll see Federer do this. It looks like he's, he's looking through the strings. It's really, yeah. I don't think anybody told him that. See, I've been telling people not to move their head for 40 years and it just doesn't work all the time. Okay. Especially on the forehand because people get excited and they're hitting shoulders way back here and you open up too soon. But when I started saying this thing, looking through the back of the strings, I found out, and this is all research, the last four milliseconds, people are into the contact longer in every single person, whether it be a seven-year-old uh, kid starting out, uh, the number one 12-year-old in Florida, or Riley Opelka, it doesn't matter. They all say the same thing. I'm with the ball longer. I feel more solid. Everything feels more stable. Okay, and this, this is what I get back from the player. This isn't something like I cooked up or brought Dr. Brian Gordon. This is, I always use the player and then take that analysis and come up with how I would try to help someone. So don't just look, see the strings pass by. It's the hardest thing to do in tennis. Some people, I tell them after contact, look back at the parking lot, look back at the clubhouse. I really do this on a one-handed slice because with the club player on the one-handed slice, everybody opens up too soon. The coach says, stay sideways. When I tell them to look backwards, they go, oh, my God. And this is five minutes. Then I tell them the lesson's over. And so instead of giving them an hour lesson, it's only five minutes. <laughs> hey, it's all about the results. Uh, at this said, point. Yeah, it but it's matter. the hardest thing to do because it's not natural. But these corrective techniques, and I probably have more, I don't want to say like gimmicks, or they're corrective techniques that it's a medley or a smorgasbord or a whole cafeteria of things that it might work for you. Then I'll go to something else. That I'll go to something else, you know, there, there's because people learn differently. But just to read a book and tell people, here's how to do the slice, that's never worked because everybody brings habits and issues. And the art of coaching is how to figure out what works for you. That's why I'm glad you got your racket. I'm glad you got uh, your racket. I, I'm very glad I got my racket. The only final point is that I'm always, if I keep my head on the ground, I've tried that on the, I then worry that 
I'm going to miss seeing the ball hit the opponent's no. racket. No, that's and, okay. And, and then I'll be, I'll be here like this, like a statue. And okay. then it's like, oh, my God, the ball's going back over there. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then we'll, you can call me back, and we'll start working on footwork, split step, anticipation. I'll get your butt moving for the next ball. I think you got to worry about A before B, because what you just said, look, B doesn't matter. We got to do A first. And no, you don't want to stay there forever and order a pizza. Right. I mean, you're going to stay there for, but it's only for like, you know, you're only there uh, for a short period of time. And you don't need to worry about the next ball yet. Get that sensation, bake it in extra crispy, get that feeling. So you're already worried about the next shot. And see, this is why people don't learn. You know, I, that's a good point. But you're not going to stay there for too long. And there's a guy named Federer that does this, and he's ready for the next shot. So he has a lot of potential, and he's pretty good. So I would look what he does. <laughs> that would be my take. So. All right. Thank you very much. I'll let no, somebody else No go. problem. That was a great question. I'm glad you got your racket. Thank you. Yeah. Great job. Hey, does anyone else want to hop in? Uh, and if you need help un unmuting, I can unmute you. But, yeah, does anyone want to uh, ask a question? Chris? Christopher? Go ahead. Yeah, just based on what you were going through with the forehand there, Rick, when you have players coming over so much, do you find that they extend into the court enough on their forehand? Or is it just coming too much around? Say the question one more time, because I, I love what you said, because I have a very different response to what, there's a whole different way I'm going to explain it. But say it one more time. Okay. The question. Was. Okay. Well, I'm formulating the questions I'm talking to you here, but. Often when I see forehands, at least I, I learned on wood rackets, okay? I go a while back. But I was taught, you know, my forehand when I make my turn to extend more into the core. Okay. As time has moved on, we've shifted more to open stances, etc. So many players now even play that I work with, they drag the arm so quickly around the body. And really overemphasizing the follow through as you were just teaching it here. And oftentimes I'll have players like beginners when they go to hit the balls, like going three courts over. And it's like, why is it going there? It's like, because your, your stroke is too circular instead of coming through before you're coming around. You kind of feel where I'm coming from. Absolutely. First off, uh, so many good points that you just said, let me explain. Cause this is a, this is, a little complicated. First off, um, because the rackets are so much more powerful and the strings, and you got bigger athletes, it's very different back in the day. Like when we played, all you would hear like turn, step, hit. You know what I mean? Be sideways to the ball. Even now, the majority of the shots, when you take the racket back, your shoulders should actually be further than your hips. That's mm -hmm. what we call a separation angle. You can create more torque at the end of the stroke. But let me, don't get caught up in that thing for right now. To answer your thing, if you, this is what people don't understand. And this is where I think a lot of coaches and teachers, if they really study this stuff and they see high speed video or they have a good eye, Nadal's arm, because when you think of Nadal, it's one thing, top spin, clay, heavy ball, double net. His arm fully extends, just like you said. If you look at Federer, his arm, and he has a different objective, tighter spin, low over the net, his arm fully extends. Joker, his arm's still a little bent. He doesn't have a pure straight arm, but it's still, he gets extension. The problem that you get 
because you got a lot of people on the internet or people just regurgitating and putting together their own song and dance. They talk windshield wiper, break it off. Uh, you know, even we, I say turn the doorknob, but that's after a full extension. You're absolutely right. Depending on where you're hitting the ball. And I need to clarify that. If you're hitting a short angle, that might be different. If you're hitting a topspin lob, that might be different. But as a rule of thumb, you're right. Okay. You always try to hit through the ball. Even my great friend, Robert Landstorff, I mean, he still teaches the kids exactly how he did, you know, 40 years ago. I mean, and no one can drive ground strokes, especially these girls that come and visit me that have worked with Robert. I mean, that's kind of a different game, you know, but he has everybody hit through the ball, even catch their follow through in front. Now, the follow through, I'll say it again. The follow through has nothing to do with where the ball goes. It can help prevent injury, but here's what it does. When you go over your shoulder, even after you extend, and I put this on video, when you go full extension, like you do, like you said, up here, the, the ball will be a little cleaner. You'll have a tighter spin in general. I'm not saying always, but when you'll see that Agassi did that a lot, he came over the shoulder a lot. When you go around the ribs, that's going to create a little bit more what we call angular momentum. You'll have more spin. When you take the racket up the right on the right shoulder, that will make more spin. When you tell people to follow through like Nadal and do what we call a flare, that will promote more spin. So the follow through, when people tell you, do it like this guy or do it like that guy, that's, you can use that, but that's not a good reason to do anything. You got to do it what works best for you. But to answer your question, you're 100% right. You want to try to get full extension. Because here's another thing, when people get excited or nervous, like we started off the conversation, most people deaccelerate, they shorten their strokes, they, please God, make this ball go over and they break it off, you know, and they put more spin on it, you know, then, you know, and you can see that even in the pros. I mean, they put more spin, but they can camouflage that because they look like they're ripping, but their ball speed could diminish 10, 15 miles an hour. So you're right. You want to still teach people to hit through the ball because way too many people, like you said, they shank it more. Uh, they come across too early. They put accidental spin on it. And another thing, back in the day, the grip was pretty standard. You know, it's more Eastern. And that was going to make you hit it cleaner with a cleaner racket face. Now that you got a semi-Western or a Western or a severe Western, some of these kids look like they're going into the world ping pong championships the way they hold the racket and they're putting so much spin on the ball. They can't break an egg. They don't miss, but it doesn't go past the service line. So the grip orientates the racket face. So always remember that, but the, the grip has nothing to do with like, you know, anything other than that. One, it can make you get more spin or less spin. But I love your question because, you know, I hear you read wiper, do the wiper. Okay, well, you want to extend before you wipe it. Yeah. yeah. That's what you want to do. Or, I listen, I have people, the, the number one girl in the country in the 12th, I have her extend out, catch the racket, the tip, the point, the, the tip is pointing at you, and the strings are down, and I have her just rotate every single ball is that far from the baseline. And I have her have to catch it and not even worry about the fall through because the movie's already been shown. The movie's over with. And she does better. Then she'll get into the match. 
and she starts breaking it earlier, she gets accidental spin, they go a little bit shorter. So I'm just giving you some corrective stuff to kind of work with your student. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great question though, I love that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear, check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner, check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Can I give a quick follow-up here? Yeah. yeah How about I don't a follow-through? That's even uh, better. Yeah, <laughs> Both. But if you're working with a beginner player, speaking of grips, what grip do you start them out with? First, great, first off, great question. It depends on the age, because I, I teach three years three year old, and I had the number I had the number one 80-year-old guy in the country, wanted to come in here and learn the ATP forehand. I gotta tell a story. And he was he's the best guy in the country in the 80s. And the guy hit it just like Jimmy Connors. He never hit top spin in his life. In five minutes, I got him hitting top spin. He goes, Rick, I haven't top hit top spin in my life. I started at age four. So you can always learn. But the more, but he had an eastern grip. So it was very hard, but he had a great stroke. He always hit it in the middle of the racket. I would start people out at an Eastern, but it depends on their age, all right? And it depends on their ability. I don't even have some kids at six and seven use orange bar or green dot. I have some kids right into yellow because obviously I get some kids that, you know, maybe their parents played in the NBA or I have some very talented kids. So we get right into it. So, but to answer your question, I prefer an Eastern, and here's why. They can find contact. They won't get discouraged, uh, and that's a, that's a nice thing. And the other coaches here that use the orange ball, I use it too, and, and the, the red. Most of them are in an Eastern. They would maybe go to a semi-Western, never a Western. Even though I had you know Roddy, Tommy Ho, I could go on many people, but their hands were like lightning in a bottle, and they could get the racket through. So that went into my decision. But I did move both Brodick and Tommy a little bit because they were way under. But great question. Definitely an Eastern. The problem is the kids are weak. They put their hand underneath, as everybody knows, the elbow's in, and they can make it. And the balls are up in their face. So they're just fighting the ball off because the parent wants to see the ball go over the net. And so does the kid. And that's the worst thing in the world. You know, it's not where you start. It's where you finish. It's all about depth. And feeling what it's like, like you said in the beginning, hitting through the ball and getting depth for free. Well, my final thing, because I don't want to hog this. With pure beginners, do you find it better to have them play for a period of time before you even introduce them to the court? First off, another great question. Uh, I think the more sports that you play, it can only help you. If you have a pure beginner, depends on if they're four or they're eight or 12, that's different. I didn't pick up a racket till I was 12. And at 18, and I never had a lesson. And at 18, I was number one in the Ohio Valley and I was self-taught. I mean, that's a crazy story in itself. So at the end of the day, it depends on the age, the size. So I can't really answer that. But I would say no. It's better to get fresh out of the oven, new muscle memory, and I have many, many beginners shadow swing. The problem with that, they got to shadow swing correctly. You don't want to be going home and doing 100 the wrong way. So the parent, that's why I go back to the engineer. 
the engineer parents, they always, it was crazy. And I'm going, why couldn't I had this one hit their forehand like that? I mean, they were amazing. They looked great and played bad. They wouldn't compete and die to win a point, but they looked good, you know? So the point I'm trying to get at is I don't think they should play, but when you say beginner, it could be a 35-year-old lady. I don't know what age you're talking about. So they got to play. But when you play, you can learn how not to lose, you know, instead of trying to win. Because what I tell everybody at a young age, besides your attitude, the only thing you got control over is your mechanics, how you hold the racket, how you take it back, and how someone's teaching you. You know, I see the same mistakes on Venus, Serena, Capriot. Well, she didn't have a lot. Capriot, uh, Mesquina, Sharapova, Christian Rude, Krima Lamy, all these people that I've taught. I see the same exact hole, even though it's smaller, as I see on the Pro Tour when they play or uh, other people, whether it be Madison Keys or Opelka. So, but it's smaller. So the cards you're dealt at a young age, this is what people don't understand. That wasn't done overnight. It's hard to change muscle memory and it's hard to reprogram the reflexes. So shadows, it's like karate. If you ever did, not that I do karate, even though the serves like karate, at karate, they do these things for a year before they go in competition. Right. And then when they go in competition, they're not out there flailing. They're ha, 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 you know. I got the ha down. I don't know how to do the movement, but so <laughs> I, I agree with the movement. Uh, you got to, I would shadow swing and then you incorporate the ball, hand feed, then basket feed, then a hitter. And you go through the progression. So people want to do the finish line. I don't think they should go into playing, even though that might go against what USTA thinks and other people. I've done this more than anybody. And the strokes that I put on some of these kids, it does, size doesn't matter. They can hit an ATP forehand. They can hit an ATP backhand. I can put their serve together. Now, if I put it on somebody who has a great work ethic and good genes, you know, good things can happen down the road. But I think the practice swings and, you know, the, the technical part is the main thing when the kids are young. But you got to make it fun because if it's like a root canal, you're going to, they won't want to do it. That's the art of coaching. Right. Make the root canal fun. That's really hard. Yeah, that's real hard. Give him some candy. That wouldn't work. Um, so, uh, uh, so Jamie, uh, do you want to hop on and, and ask your question or questions in, in person? Do you want to? Uh, yeah, I'm going to ask a different question, actually. Okay. Um, so I'm Jamie. I'm Hi, Jamie. 35 years old. I play at the historic Germantown Cricket Club, which you may have heard of. Um, heard we're of awesome. Um, I started playing at eight, but I think when I was a child, all of the coaches saw that I was tiny and didn't try. I also wait, think. Wait, wait, wait. Didn't, you didn't try or they didn't try? They didn't try. I spent 10 years in instruction and I could not make my private school JV team. Year after year after year, I was on third team in the woods because they didn't teach me how to play matches. I had Robert Fisher, who's a fool teaching me the Pete Sampras forehand. And I still don't know why I needed a Pete Sampras forehand when I was 10 years old. Still don't. So I, at 2016, I came back to Germantown. I threw everything out. And for the past five years, I've rebuilt my foundation. Um, I'm still losing nearly every USTA match I play, but I've rebuilt my foundation. My technique for the most part is not my problem. 
I go into matches. I'm like, I'm hitting fine. I'm just losing. I'm not reacting well. I'm not anticipating well. I'm not making good decisions. I think that's really the heart of where I get stuck. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on what to do next to try to fix that. Well, once again, you know, I can give my advice and comment. If I saw it live and in color, like you just play a couple games, then I could definitely do reconstructive surgery on you without messing around with your stroke. I could just, you know, what you just said, I'm glad you feel better about your strokes. Okay. But I don't know how you're handling pressure. If you're making it out to be a big thing, when you said the anticipation, do you feel, are you pretty quick and fast? Because if you're not, usually if people aren't super tall, they should be pretty quick and fast. Or do you feel your movement? I, I'm told that once I start moving, I'm fairly fast. I react slow. So okay. sometimes I don't even see it quick enough to make a move. Okay. Okay. Now I got it. Okay. I got it. I got the answer. Okay. Here's what you got to do. Anticipation comes in all shapes and sizes. And let me go down this medley. Okay. You hit the ball. The first thing you should be watching is where your ball lands. That's number one. Okay. Got to remember this. You got to see where your ball lands. That's going to give you an indication or a blueprint what maybe could be coming next. Now, I know that depends on who's over there. If it's Federer, and no matter where you hit it, probably what's coming next isn't going to be that nice. So, but it, to look where your ball lands always, you're probably not doing that. Number two, see how your opponent is running to the ball. Are they running like a squirrel? Okay, that means like really scurrying. Are they running there very comfortable? Okay, so that gives you an indication also. Usually if someone's going really fast, they're probably going to have to play percentage and bring it back where you hit it. They're not going to change the direction of the ball. And number three, because this doesn't lie, the angle of the racket. Okay, you always want to look at the angle of the racket. So probably what's doing, you're hitting the ball, you're thinking mission's accomplished, and then they hit the next ball and you're not split-stepping at the right time. And then like you're late to the party, but once you start running, your makeup speed is good. So your coach is saying, once you get going, everything is good. So to me, this goes way back. You got to see where your ball lands. And that's kind of a subconscious thing. You don't have to get up on your tiptoes. I don't know how tall you are. I'm sure you can look over the net. Uh, you don't have to say, oh, there's the ball. Or you, then you see how they run. And then you see their racket. And that's how I tell people to get better movement. The best way to get quicker and faster is to get smarter. Okay. And those are the three golden tips where your ball lands, how your opponent's running. Okay. And the angle of the racket. Then pass tendencies. Listen, there's not a lot of options. They're going to take the ball cross quarter down the line. It's not like there's 20 options. So even if you leave too soon, okay, very seldom, and I haven't seen you play, um, have you been wrong? It's not like, you're leaving too soon and they go there or you're leaving too soon and they go there. The more you're wrong, the more you're going to be right. So I would start, I don't want to say the word cheating. I tell people to make more of an educated guess. And this is a big thing with juniors because I have some people, obviously like, like Serena, she could, she could fly. Okay. Or like Venus. Okay. Or maybe someone like Kenan, uh, she, she, I felt anticipated probably better name I ever coached were like Sharapova. She was limited, but so understanding what I just said to me is like, 
gold for the question that you just asked. Okay, if you feel you're getting late to the ball. Now, next thing, maybe how you're hitting the ball. I don't know if you're hitting higher over the net, low over the net, the quality of your stroke. Maybe you're just hitting so many short balls that you're putting yourself in the defense. So now we could go back to the technical part. Does that make sense? So it's kind of an entree of a lot of different things. But if we're going to talk movement, all right? And then the next thing, your court position. I don't know if you're near the baseline. I don't know if you're inside the baseline. I doubt it. I don't know if you're, you know, in the dining room at the cricket club. I don't know where you're standing. So that has a lot to do with it also. Because if your makeup speed is good, maybe you got to be, you know, back farther. But then again, I don't really teach people that way. I kind of teach them differently, but everybody's different. So if you could give me feedback on what I said, I think I could help you even more. Do you ever look at it like that or you just hit it and then wait to see what comes? So I'm sure your uh, coach says split step, right? Yes. And I've actually been doing a Nathan Martin, pro Nathan Martin program that's focused on that recently. Um, what is that? Um, I don't know. He's a tennis uh, he's, fitness guy. Yeah. Yeah. Online, he's got maybe. like 20 yeah. programs for different things. And his new one is speed agility reaction. And it was 10 bucks. So I've been working my way through that. Okay. Um, well, what but, I just tell you, what I, I don't know it, but what I just told you is going to help you a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, that's very helpful. I definitely, so we have, did you ever, did, did you ever do that? What I just said? I have a lot of trouble focusing on what's happening on the other side of the net. I think I miss cues all the time and it doesn't matter what surface I'm on. Like I, I know that my technique is fine if I can get there, but yeah. it, if I had a dollar for every time my pro said, when you see X do Y and I totally miss that X happened. Like, yeah. well, here's yeah. another thing. Now, if that doesn't work, see, I got plan B. I, I've already done A. Now I got plan B. What I have kids do, because some people are not plugged in, you know, and if you're not plugged in, the computer doesn't work. So I tell them when their ball hits the court, okay, I tell them verbally, say something verbally, bounce. And then when their opponent hits the ball, hit. I have them say it out loud. And every, then they obviously, then they split step. Every single kid, when I make them do that, even though it's annoying and they don't like to do it, uh, they all say, I feel quicker. I do. I I'm a, a big fan ahead. of split bounce hit, but I'm usually saying it in my head, not out loud. No, say it out loud because now your whole nervous system is going, what the heck is this all about? You know, it's a different, you know, when you say it out loud. Now, the person on the other side might get mad, but uh, that's her problem. They can come on this podcast and I'll show them how not to get mad. That's, that's a different podcast, okay? <laughs> Pre-invite. Right. <laughs> Thank but you. No, that, that's what, uh, but I'm glad you got your strokes under control. That sounds great. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And, uh, and I see, obviously we have a bunch of other people, so, I mean, you can feel free to, uh, unmute yourself and ask the question. It's, it's been pretty fun actually to have everybody, uh, ask face to face. Um, so Christopher, I saw that you had a question earlier uh, and you asked, why is it easier for me to return a hundred mile per hour service versus a 50 mile per hour serve? Do you want to expand upon that, uh, at all, Christopher? Yeah, I guess so. Um, that's actually one of my greatest challenges when I play. Um, I operate better against big servers, hmm. probably because I can just use their power to direct the ball back. But when I have players where I'm 
basically coming up to the service line to return serve. Um, that's where I have some of my greatest uh, challenges. And I'll have you know, this is doubles tennis also, and I don't want to fall into the situation where I often do, or I'm just returning right back to the server. So, and that's kind of vague. No, 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 listen, what, what, okay. But so if you think of it in, in its, in theory, okay, it should be the other way around. You know, if you ask a high level pro, would you rather have the ball come 140 or 40? They're going to say, you know, they think I was on drugs. They would say you 40, you know, because, but what you're doing, because you have an Eastern grip and you probably, you have a one-handed backhand chip. Yes, I do. But yeah, I mean, I already got your game figured out. I've never seen you hit. And I've already, I'm, I'm, I'm getting this thing figured out. You got an Eastern grip, you got a wicked lefty backhand slice and you block it and you hit it right at the guy's feet when he comes in the volley and your opponent poaches and you win the point. Um, not on your partner. Not, not all the time. Okay. Good um, answer. I agree <laughs> with that. Nothing's all, <laughs> but no, but to answer your question, you want to, obviously stay if you already answered it you're using their pace so you don't react and you know you got to have a short stroke and you have a good clean grip so it's like a trampoline or a ricochet type reaction and when you got to generate the pace what i would do if you're talking about these marshmallow cupcake second serve i would turn it into a pro shot you'd be amazed of how many juniors when i tell them take the second serve and hit it and come to the net their footwork becomes so much better and their weight transfer becomes better. And then the quality of the production, the quality of their shots better where they would never, they don't even get a volley because I'm actually making them take the second serve and come to the net. So if it's that bad, a second serve, or I don't even know if it's the first serve, turn it into an approach shot because at least that way, I think you're going to get more mileage out of the weight shift. Okay. Because you're probably waiting a little bit and trying to do it with your arm. And you get more power in your own mind by the ricochet. But so you got to supplement that by you going forward more. And just it's, it's a, not a return of serve if it's that bad. To me, if you're playing doubles, I turn into a pro shot. Have you ever tried to do that? Because to me, I think that would change everything. Well, oftentimes when I'm in doubles, depending on who my partner is, I will be in the deuce court. I do prefer playing it, but as you know, there are so many theories. I'll, I'll be in deuce. For me, my backhand's always been my best stroke. My backhand's probably easy, 5.5. My forehand may be down to 4, okay? No, you can chip that thing low cross court. Yeah. You've done it for 60 years. But here's what sometimes will happen. If I have an aggressive net player, my left hand slice or chip or whatever goes right into the righty's forehand. Goes right into the net player's forehand if they're looking to poach, which often they are. So then the geometry of the court is much narrowed down for me. But you got such good feel on your backhand chip. I would lob it over the net man's head. Oh, I do that too. Yeah, I do that too. All right, we're, we're getting along a lot better. See, we're getting along much better now. No, I mean, do that a few times. That'll keep that guy's butt standing there. But listen, you, the, the best, the best versatility is being versatile. You know, you got to use your chip return over the net man's head, unless you're coming over it or unless you're hitting it early. Like they're going to, they're going to poach every time because it's to your backhand. And that's one of the reasons why maybe, 
Uh, I don't know if you ever play the, the other side because most lefties play the other side, the ad side, you know, so that you're just inviting someone to poach. But then again, if I was coaching you, I would have you do more chip lobs over the person's head. Now you guys got control of the net and I think good things would happen. Uh -huh. Right, stand even closer because you got good hand-eye coordination and you own the chip. Don't stand in the same place you have the last 20 years. And that's a big problem. People don't like to experiment. Kids, adults, whatever, they get comfortable. They stay in the same place. And I know it's scary because no one likes to fail, but you got to be uncomfortable to get comfortable. You got to fail to succeed. I would get in there tighter and almost bang. I would take that thing much quicker. I'm speculating because I haven't seen you play, but if I saw, like, I could give you some good pointers, but you could even use this with your students. It sounds like you work with a lot of people. Yes. I know I didn't answer the question, but I answered something. I don't know. No, you did. You did. You gave me, you gave me good insight. You know, you gave, me, you gave me good insight. Or stand in the alley and just hit forehand. I don't know the speed of the serve. Well, I'll put it this way. Some of the second serves I see, depending on who I'm playing with, maybe they're 60, 65. And what I see is I have to generate everything off of those serves. I have to generate. It's almost like hitting off of a drop Wait, ball. You mean the, the guy you're playing 65 or the speed is 65? Speed is 65. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> no, okay. Well, listen, no, that's still, that's some good juice. Or, may, or maybe sometimes it's the same. Speed, any age, it could be the same, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think. But vary your position. Even if you have to stand back farther and lock doubles is that doubles and singles is a whole different game if you I'm play not. correctly, you know. So how I would orchestrate this in singles, it's a different discussion in dub. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.